Good morning. I was able to figure out my webcam as well. And by that Hashem, I also got a desktop application of the Mishneh Torah, which is going to, I think, make it easier to study. I can show through Google Hangouts, I can show on my screen, it's called Screencast. I can screencast whatever I'm seeing, which is going to be the Mishneh Torah that we are studying. So we go to the Hakdama. In this edition of Makpili, we are going to go to Halakha Halakha Tet. But before that, um, something we forgot yesterday, there is a very notable omission from the lineage of uh, of the tradition of who taught whom, which Bedin taught to which Bedin. And the one that's skipped over is Shalomu HaMelech. Shalomu HaMelech, although, you know, we, we say he was the, the wisest of all men, he's nowhere to be found. We go from David HaMelech to Ahiyah HaShiloni. As we know that Ahiyah HaShiloni is an anachronism in a way, because he's from Yosef Misraim, and he only is active in the Tanakh later on, the times of Yaroham. So, in a way, this is to tell us, to alert us with neon lights, that Shalom HaMelech is missing. And to have us ask the question, why? And the reason Shalom HaMelech might be missing is because Shalom HaMelech, although he was the wisest person who ever lived, he was not a role model in his conduct, in his behavior to Am Israel. And we believe that you do have to have a role model to be a worthy vessel to transmit the Torah. The Pasuk in Malachi says that uh, we are going to demand the Torah from the Kohanim who are like angels. So Hamim say, what this is telling you is that if the person is, as an angel, if the person is um, worthy in his actions, then then you should ask Torah from them. If he's not like an angel, uh, if he's far from it like some other people, then you may not study Torah from such a person. Which is why Shlomo Melech again is skipped here. At the end of his life, as we know, he uh, disobeyed what the Torah says of not having too many horses, not having too much money, not having too many wives. He had all three of those. And uh, the Tanakh tells us that his wives led him to actually commit idolatry. Whether he actually committed idolatry or whatever his wives did was imputed upon him is another question. But the point is, Shlomo was not a role model in behavior. And this is why he's being skipped. So now back to Halachatet. <clears throat> we are in the era of Rabban Yohanan Mezakai, the end of the second Bet HaMikdash. And again, the Torah was at risk. The Torah was at risk. The Bet HaMikdash was destroyed. The Bet HaMikdash was not only the place where we uh, did our, we had our ritual life, 
where we had our prayers and our korbanot, our offerings, and the place to which we had our pilgrimage. But also, it was a place of study. It was a place that hosted the Supreme Court. It was the Jewish Congress in Eretz Israel. And with its destruction, the place in which one generation passed on to Rashi Be'al to the next, passed on the entrusted Rashi Be'al to the next and gave the authority of Rashi Be'al to the next, was no longer in existence. So now Rabbi Yochanan is faced with this dilemma, with this crisis. Hamishat al-Midim hayulul Rabbi Yochanan Mezakai. Rabbi Yochanan Mezakai had five students. Vehem gedolei hachamim shekibelu mimenu. They are, these five students are not the only ones, but they are the greatest of all the sages that were entrusted by him with Torah Shabbat. And these are they. Rabbi Eliezer HaGadol, Rabbi Eliezer the Great, also known as Rabbi Eliezer Ben Horkinos, Rabbi Yehoshua, this is Rabbi Yehoshua Ben Hananiah, Rabbi Yoseha Kohen, Rabbi Shimon Ben Netanel, Rabbi Elazar Ben Arach. From all of these, the two that are more or less relevant for us, the two from whom we have a lot left, is Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yehoshua. The other three, we barely have anything. Just to show you how dire the times were, that, that it, wasn't, it wasn't a given that Torah would be preserved, as, as I said, five greatest students, and we only pretty much have traditions from two of them, for the most part. The Rabbi Akiva ben Yosef kibel Rabbi Eliezer Hagadol. The Yosef Aviv ger tzedek haya. Rabbi Akiva, he received Torah from Rabbi Eliezer. He was also a student of Rabbi Yoshua, but he continues the line through Rabbi Eliezer. And his father, Yosef was a Gertzedek, was a convert, another convert. Uh, by the way, at that time, because the Torah had been translated to Greek by Ptolemy, oh. um, it was accessible, it was available to uh, the Roman Empire at large. And Romans fell in love with the Torah. And we know from many sources that it had become extremely popular and the elite of the Romans, the smartest people, were uh, converting to Yahadut, to Judaism. Rabbi Ishmael and Rabbi Meir ben Gerhatzedek ibelum Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Ishmael and Rabbi Meir, also the son of a convert, two sages that received Torah from Rabbi Akiva. I'm saying received Torah here, I'm not saying that they were entrusted because this is not the lineage that we are about to continue in a bit with which we started, of one court giving to the other. This is the individual lineage of actual tradition. And Rabbi Meir not only received from Rabbi Akiva, his teacher, his great teacher, but also from his teacher's student, his uh, sort of like peer, but rabbi as well, Rabbi Ishmael. Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Nehemiah, Rabbi Azar, Ben Shamua, Rabbi Yohanan Sandlar, 
ושמעון בן עזאי ורבי חניה בן תלדיון, רבי מאיר had many peers in that generation, these are all the sages that we know from the Mishnah, they author all the sayings, all the halachot compiled in the Mishnah. רבי יהודה, רבי יוסר, רבי שמעון, רבי נחניה, רבי אלעזר בן שמוע, רבי יוחנן הסנדלר, שמעון בן עזאי, he was never old enough to receive the title Rabbi, so it's just Shimon ben Azai. Rabbi Hanya ben Teladion. And also, other peers of Rabbi Akiva received Torah from Rabbi Akiva's teacher, Rabbi Eliezer Agadol, who was, again, the greatest of the five students of Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakai. The peers of Rabbi Akiva are Rabbi Tarfon, Rabbo Shlo Rabbi Yoseha Galili, Rabbi Tarfon, who was the, the rabbi of Rabbi Yoseha Galili, who is famous among some circles for having been the one who advocated the position that chicken is not meat for purposes of eating it with milk. Rabbi Shimon ben El Azar, Rabbi Yohanan ben Nuri, all of those very famous sages from Mishnah. Yud Aleph. Rabban Shimon Hazaken. רבן שמעון, I'm sorry, אני מבין, רבן גמליאל הזקן קיבל מרבן שמעון אביו. רבן גמליאל the elder, now we are back to the lineage, to the links in this chain of tradition, of this chain of authority actually. רבן גמליאל received this authority from רבן שמעון, his father, who was the son of הלל הזקן. בנו של הלל הזקן. רבן שמעון בנו קיבל ממנו. And after Rabban Gamliel, the first one, who lived through the destruction, was the first chief of the academy, the first chief justice of Am Yisrael after the destruction of Beit HaMikdash, came his son, and then his other son, and then his grandson, Rabban Gamliel Benoki Ben Mimenu. This is the one we know as Rabban Gamliel from Yavne. Rabban Shimon Benoki Ben Mimenu. Rabbi Yehuda Benosh Rabban Shimon Zeh. And then finally, five generations later, Rabbi Yehuda, the son of, of Rabban Shimon, he's the one that we know as Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, or the one we call Rabbeinu HaKadosh, our uh, distinguished, I don't like the word holy for Kadosh, but maybe the holy, the, holy, the holy rabbi or the distinguished rabbi. And this Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, Rabbeinu HaKadosh, he not only received the authority, but also he studied, he got the tradition from his father, from Rabbi Azar ben Shamua, and from Rabbi Shimon, the one who was in his same generation. Why is he important? Why are we singling him out? Actually, he's one of the most important figures in Jewish history, and Yud Bet is going to be a very important halacha. Rabbeinu HaKadosh Hibber HaMishnah. Rabbeinu HaKadosh compiled the Mishnah. Umimot Moshe Rabbeinu ve'ad Rabbeinu HaKadosh, and from the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, until the time of Rabbeinu HaKadosh, lo hibberu hibbur shemelamedin oto barabim batorah shebealpeh. There had never been any other composition, registering Torah Shabbat that was available to the public. In other words, 
obviously they studied Torah Shabbat in public, they studied the oral law in public, but there was no official text that you could quote or cite or say uh, to, to, to your friend from across the world, hey, you know, let's look at chapter 5, um, Halakha 7. There was nothing like that. Nothing that was meant to be a national publication. Ella, rather, what was the situation before then? The Choldor Vador, every generation, Rosh Bet Din Onavi Hador, whoever was the chief justice or the prophet in that generation, Obviously, you cannot know everything by heart. Nobody can know everything by heart. And it's irresponsible to not have something written. It's not that they never wrote to Rasha Be'alpeh. Let's say that in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, as we know, Moshe Rabbeinu and his court, they had, they, they, they composed, or at least they put the theme to the first blessing of Birkat Hamazon. Furthermore, they instituted that we should read the Torah every single week, every single Shabbat. How do we know that? How do we know that that's the case, that that's what Moshe Rabbeinu said? It's not only that one generation told the other orally that that's the case, but actually there was someone responsible, the chief of that justice of that generation, who would write to himself maybe something that looked like an actual book with actual chapters and, and verses or whatnot, but the difference was this writing, this book, this note, were meant to be private, were meant to be preserved inside the Beddin, the court. And one can imagine that when, let's say, David HaMelech had his uh, archives of notes written whenever, when he entrusted Ahiyashi Loni to continue leading the court, he gave him his compilation of notes. I think that that's probably what happened. So, he would write to himself private notes on all of the things that he learned from his teachers. But when he taught in public, he would teach orally. He wouldn't read this note. Again, if he had read this note, someone could come and say to somebody else on the other side of the world, on chapter 5, Mishnah 7, the court says A, B, C, D. But he couldn't do that. And that was the point, that he wouldn't do that, that he would go to the Bedin and ask them, in each case, what their opinion is. Also, every, every private person would write to himself his private notes of the Be'ur HaTorah. Be'ur comes from the word Be'er, Be'er is a well, something that you dig into. So Be'ur HaTorah is the depth of the Torah in the sense of the sources of the Torah. We're going to see it a little later. I'm just giving you a preview. Be'ur is the, the fundamentals that lead to a certain rule. So you have the rule, let's say that you may not eat chicken with meat. There is a Be'ur to it. There is a whole concatenation 
whole process that led from the Pasuk saying to our not eating chicken with milk. So all of that you would have heard it in Shaul, you would have written it down as private notes. Also from the actual halachot, there were halachot, there were formulations of uh, stated law. So let's say that at some point we decided, the court decided, okay, so chicken and milk, guys, is forbidden. That becomes an axiom, it becomes a maxim that you can now quote, but that quotation would not be from, from a book, it would be from an oral experience. Umehil choteha, dosa de halachot, these maxims, kemoshe shama, as you may have heard. So this is part of what you'd have notes of. And also from all the things that could have come up anew, novelties, additions, as if it were, to this Torah to this mental law through which we process the text, that were learned anew in every generation. Bedinim, in dinim, through dinim, dinim are hermeneutics. It's the tools that permit you to infer things from the text, from the Torah, in a creative way. So let me give you an example. Um, that, okay, this same Pasuk. The Pasuk says, you may not cook Gedi. Gedi means a kid of a farm animal, cow or sheep or goat in the milk of its mother. There is two ways of going about this. One way is going to be the Kalva Homer way. So Kalva Homer is one of the dinim, is one of the ways by which you can infer things from the Torah. It doesn't mean that that's what the Torah says, but it means that if you're in, in a court session and you are, let's say, with the Akiva, you can take the floor and say, my colleagues, I want to propose that uh, this Pasuk being that I can infer the following, should be interpreted by this court to mean ABC. So to it, in this case, let's say Rabbi uh, Ishmael stands up, that's not who he was, but let's say he stands up and he says, Rabbotai, my, my colleagues, my, my rabbis, it says in the Pasuk, you may not cook a gedi with the milk, in the milk of its, of its mother. Now, Kalva Homer, Kalva Homer is, if the Pasuk says X, and Y is more obvious than X, then obviously Y. So this is how it goes. The Pasuk says you may not cook in order to eat it. Of course, how much more so that you may not actually eat it? That is Kalva Homer. And through that, the court can take a position that this is what the Pasuk means. And those positions can change. And this is what the Pasuk means for all intents and purposes for all of Am Israel, because the court is the one that's going to give meaning to the Torah. That's what Torah Be'alpe is. Those are the things that can become novel, they can become new interpretations in every generation through this hermeneutics through these interpretations that were not necessarily solid they were not traditions of an actual maxim it's not that somebody came to the generation of Rabbi Akiva and said 
guys, this is how you read this pasuk. There is a kalva homer here. No, not necessarily. There is no shemua on this. There is no tradition on this. Rather, with one of, they used to have 13, in the times of Rabbi Akiva, they used to have 13 uh, ways of discourse. 13, like I mentioned, Kalva Homer, there were 12 others, 12 other tools that you could use to present your idea in the Bedin. And not only is something that was learned through one of these ideas, but also the Hiskimu Alehem Bedin Hagadol. Not only did they take this, uh, this uh, not only did someone present this as coming from the book, but actually it was voted on. That's a very important point. I can, in the privacy of my house, have as many derashot, as many interpretations as I want. They are totally relevant unless they are said in the context of a court setting, like a Sanhedrin. And unless it's voted on in the majority, representing the majority of Am Israel agrees that this is the case. It's as if, you know, imagine if the United States Congress, if the House of Representatives was in charge not of legislating, or also of legislating, but they were the ones who were in charge of interpreting the Constitution. And if they wanted to tell you, the citizen, what the Constitution means, for the entire American people, they'd have to use certain tools. Let's say, for example, they have to use originalism, which is a theory of law in the United States, saying that you are trying to find out if the framers were allowed, alive today, what would they say? That's pretty much what originalism means. And then they present their idea, and then you have a vote, and if the majority agrees on it, that becomes a new interpretation of the, of the, of the Constitution. That's pretty much more or less what the Bedin Haggadol was. That is the authority we have been mentioning that one generation is passing to the next one. So what did the Bihudahanasi do after the situation was the way we just described it? So he took pretty much all the sets of private notes that included everything that had been decided and taught and transmitted, because this is cumulative, obviously, from the times of Moshe Rabbeinu, on the entire Torah, on everything from the laws of Korbanot to the laws of how to plant in Eretz Israel, everything in between. From there, he compiled the book of the Mishnah. Now it's Sefer, it's something, it's a public publication, it's something that can be quoted. He made people start memorizing it. So someone in the Galil and someone in, in, in the south, in Yehuda, would pretty much be able to cite to the same Mishnah, to the same sentence, by citing to a chapter and to a halakha. And this was published, a very important word, this was published, it was promulgated, it was made official with respect to all of Israel. Everyone wrote it. Yes, everyone wrote it. I'm saying this because there is a machloket on whether or not people have had written the Mishnah or just passed it down orally, according to Aravam, it's very clear they wrote it. 
ורימפסו בכל מקום, and he, he actually um, uh, taught it, רימפסו is uh, to teach in a very active way, everywhere, כדי שלא תשתכח תורה שבעל פה מישראל. In order to prevent תורה שבעל פה, the oral law, from disappearing from Israel. Because again, we had no Bet HaMikdash, we no longer had an active court that was engaged in, from the Bet HaMikdash in interpreting, and that was a center to which anyone could go to ask them what the Torah meant. Yudalet. Why did he do this, Rabbi Noah Kadosh? And he didn't leave things as they were. Because he saw that two things were happening. The students were becoming fewer and fewer. But what wasn't becoming fewer and fewer is that the troubles were becoming more and more, more numerous and more numerous which meant <clears throat> it's going to become very, very difficult to maintain this just as it was. And the evil kingdom, this is a term of art Hamim used to refer to the Roman Empire, which was not very kind to Am Israel. The evil empire was expanding in the world, and was strengthening. At the same time, the Jews were starting to become scattered. We had a community, an enclave, as far as Spain at that time. So he compiled one version, one version of Torah so everyone would have it. So everyone would learn it fairly quickly. The Mishnah is not very long. Not like the Gemara, it's very, it's, it's uh, memorizable. The Mishnah, you can, you may know by heart. So something, something that everyone can learn quickly and will not be forgotten. Then he dedicated all of his life, he and his court, and he taught the Mishnah in public. And now we have a very important halacha, not for these purposes, but whenever we come across these rabbis in the Gemara, it's important to remember each and every one of them was part of the court of this group that compiled the Mishnah. It wasn't Rabbi Udanasi, it was not a one-man show. Again, nobody was a one-man show. Rabbi Udanasi had his court, and during his court, during his tenure, is that they published a Mishnah, but it was a team effort, and this is a team. These are the greatest, there were more, but these are the greatest of the Chachamim, of the sages, that were in the court of Rabbeinu HaKadosh, and received Torah from him. Shimon and Gamliel Banav. His two children of Rabbi Yudanasi, Shimon and Gamliel. Rabbi Afes. Rabbi Hananiah ben Hama. Rabbi Hiya. Some of them are considered still from the generation of Tannaim, of the people that preceded the Mishnah. And some of them, or most of them, are considered Amoraim, are considered already from the period of the Gemara. Rabbi Hiya, the Rav, Rav is the most, perhaps the most important figure in the Talmud Babli, in the Gemara. The Rabbi Yannai, Ubar Kapara, Ushmuel, notice Shmuel does not have, many of them don't have the title Rabbi next to him. Shmuel lived in the Hardea since he was pretty young. 
ורבי יוחנן, ורבי הושעיה, אלו הם הגדולים, these are the greater ones, the great חכמים שקיבלו ממנו, ועמהן אלפים ורבבות משל החכמים. But with them, again, רבי יהודה הנשיא had a campaign of going around Israel and making sure the Mishnah is known by everyone. So obviously he had more students, he had thousands and tens of thousands of other students, but these are the ones that really can call themselves his students. אף על פי שאלו, עם ט"ז, אף על פי שאלו האחד עשר קיבלו מרבנו הקדוש ועמדו במדרשו. By the way, we'll go for three more הלכות. Although these eleven were the ones that received from רבנו הקדוש and were part of his מדרש, of his academy, רבי יוחנן קטן היה, רבי יוחנן, we're going to, to, to mention it separately, he was a minor during that time. ואחר כך תלמיד היה לרבי ינאי. And later on, probably when רבי יהודה הנשיא passes away, he becomes a student to one of the other students, one of the other ten, which we mentioned, רבי ינאי. וורקה פרה ושמואל, רבי יוחנן, sorry, ושמואל קיבל מרבי חנניה בן חמא. And שמואל, not only did he received from רבי יהודה הנשיא, he was also, apparently he was also young around that time, so he, שמואל continued his studying with one of the other ten, his name was רבי חנניה בן חנא, we mentioned him as well. So what did they do? They, they didn't stop there. These 11 students, again, this was a very special generation, very inspired, so that they took it further, and it's all relevant to our time. Rav, one of the students we mentioned, he's the one who compiled two books, the Sifra and the Sifre. These are three books, really, the Sifre is two books, that's why it's called Sifre, Sifre is plural, it's, it means two in Aramaic, Sifra and Sifre. Some people call it Sifri, which makes absolutely no sense. It's Sifre, it's two books. Sifra is a compilation of Midrashim on the book of Vayikra, so on Pesukim, it's organized by Parashiot. So if you open Sifra, you open, let's say, Parashat Aharemot. You'll see at the beginning of Aharemot, you have a lot of legal discussions around the Pesukim that deal with what used to be done in Bet HaMikdash, or what should be done in Bet HaMikdash in Yom HaKippurim. It's not Rav's opinions, but he compiled opinions of sages based on the Parashiot. וספרי, ספרי is from the next two books, the במדבר and the במדבר and the ברים. And what are these for? לבאר, that's the word we mentioned before, לבאר, in order to go deep, to show you the roots, to show you the roots of ולהודיה עיקרי המשנה. And to announce to everyone, עיקרי, the roots of the משנה. So the משנה says that כל הבשר includes when we talk about meat, it includes all meat, including chicken. So what does that mean? How did we get there? So if you open the Sifre, you will see. You will see a discussion uh, in, in the book of Devarim. Next to, it's in several places, but among other places, in Parashat uh, Re'eh, you will see that there is a discussion. It was said three times, and then one is for this, one is for that, one is for that. We have, again, using these tools of presentation, we have records in the Sifra and the Sifre 
of at least the summaries of the positions of these arguments, of these presentations they used to have in these courts to show you how we got to the point we got to. So the Sifra and the Sifre are going to show you the roots so that you can open the Mishnah, that was Rav's plan, and then you can open the Sifra and the Sifre and you can see <coughs> from the Sifra and the Sifre how the Pasuk leads, how the Torah Shebikhtav connects to the Maxim, to the Halakha in Torah Shebikhtav. Rabbi compiled another compilation which we know, the Tosefta. The Tosefta is about three times as long as the Mishnah. And it's pretty much an expanded, an unabridged version of the Mishnah with a lot of material that was not, that was edited out or was summarized in the Mishnah itself. In order to explain Rabbi, Rabbi his idea, Rabbi Hiya, was, I want you to have the Mishnah. Everyone is going to know the Mishnah. The Mishnah is the official book. That's it. The Mishnah is the only official book. But if you want to have a little more background, maybe go one step before the Mishnah, one edition before, and know how we got here, then go to the Tosefta, and you're going to open, and for each chapter, you're going to have three times as much material. They also compiled what's called Baraitot. Baraitot is a word in Aramaic from, from uh, Bar. Bar means outside in Aramaic. Baraitot literally means the, the ones that were left out. So the Baraitot are some again, some Mishnayot, some alternative versions of the Mishnayot that did not make it into the official Mishnah, but are very helpful. Because if you want to understand the Mishnah, what did Rabbi Akiva really mean? So sometimes you look at the Baraita, the Gemara does this a lot, and through the Baraita you can perhaps have a different angle of what really was going on. But Rabbi Yohanan, another one of the students, Heber HaTalmud HaYerushalmi Be'eres Yisrael, Rabbi Yohanan lived in uh, Tiberias, Tiberia, Tiberia, and he compiled what we know as the Palestinian Talmud, Talmud Yerushalmi in Eres Israel. And Arambam gives you also a little bit of a, a, um, a, a date so we can place ourselves in history. This is around 300 years after the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. So we are talking about the year, let's say, 350, 370, after the common era. Yudhet. This is in Eres Israel. Rabba Bar Barhana, Rabbi Ameh, Rabbi Aseh, the Rav Dimeh, the Rabun. Yotet, Umikelala Hachamim Shkibelum Rav Huna, Umar Rav Yehuda, Rabba the Rav Yosef. These two were very important. They took turns heading the most important academy, probably during the most important time of the Gemara. And I think most of the Gemara can be attributed to Rabba and Rav Yosef and their students. Um, 
ומכלל החכמים שקיבלו מרביו רב יוסף, אביי ורבב. From the rabbis who received from רבי and רב יוסף, will mention mostly אביי and רבב, again very very famous. ושתיהם קיבלו גם מרב נחמן. They also had another teacher who was רב נחמן, whom we mentioned as well. He was one of the students of רב נשמואל. ומכלל החכמים שקיבלו מרבב, רב אשתה ורב עינם. And then from Rabbah, from the Chachamim, there were two that we are going to point out, Rav Asheh and Rav Ena. Why are they important? We're going to say in a second. Umor bar Rav Asheh kibbel me'aviv Rav Asheh me'rav Ena. And then there was another rabbi, his name was Mor bar Rav Asheh. He's the one to whom, for example, is attributed the, 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 the statement or the, the maxim, the rule, or the recommendation. that one may not eat fish with meat, fish with meat, it's not forbidden, but Mor Barav Asheh was the one who mentioned that this uh, should not be done out of health concerns. He's the one, so he received from uh, Rav Asheh and from Ravina. Uh, I'm, I'm pointing him out a little separately because he's not, he's not, In, in what we are about to read in, in this last halacha we are doing today, he is not one of the 40 generations that, uh, that, that we are going to, to just review. He is a the 41st generation, but he's mentioned in this group because whatever he says in the Gemara has the same authority as anything said by people before him. Halacha kaf. This summarizes everything we, we have been saying so far. נמצא מרב אשר על משה רבנו, ארבעים איש ואלו הם. From רב אשר על משה רבנו, there is 40 people, and these are they. רב אשר, he received מרבה, מרבה, מרב הונה, מרבי יוחנן ורבו שמואל, three in the same generation. מרבנו הקדוש, מרבן שמעון אביו, מרבן גמליאל אביו, מרבן שמעון אביו, מרבן גמליאל הזקן אביו, מרבן שמעון אביו, מהלל אביו ושמאי, משמעיה ואלטליון, מיהודה ושמעון, again we are now in the, generation, in the generations of pairs, זוגות, מיהודה ושמעון, מהושע וניתאי, מיוסף ויוסף, מאנטיגנס, משמעון הסדיק, מעזרא, now we come to the prophets, מברוך, מירמיה, מספניה, מחבקוק, מנחום, מיואל, ממיכה, מישעיה, מעמוס, מהושיה, מזכריה, מהוידה, מאלישע, מאליהו, מאחיה, מדוד, קינגס נאו, משמואל, פרופטס, מעלי, מפנחס, מהושע, יהושע בן נון, ממשה רבנו. So we have 40 uninterrupted generations of courts, of, of authority to interpret the Torah שבכתב and to engage in Torah שבעל פה. ממשה רבנו, רבן של כל הנביאים, whom we also call not only, משה רבנו, not only our rabbi, our master, but also the master of all the prophets. And then who did משה רבנו, whom did he receive from? מעין השם אלוהי ישראל. We're going to stop here, but tomorrow we continue הלכה כבר.